0: History of, of almost reinventing yourself, if not
1: inventing a new company, um, uh, almost uh, almost every few years. What is it that drives that kind of a that kind of a thing in someone? I mean, what what causes you to uh, to, to do that? I mean, according to this thing, we have nine different companies that you founded, and probably uh, there are probably another couple of dozen to which you have contributed.
0: So I, I think that. I mean, the simple answer is that the database field is kind of unique in the sense that the ultimate arbiter of good ideas is the commercial marketplace and that, you know, that relational database systems were sort of an academic, you know, side effect until they won in the commercial marketplace. And so... So I think the answer is, if you want your ideas to make a difference, you've either got to uh, get you know an existing technology vendor to embrace them, or you've got to do a startup. And how hard is it to get an existing
1: an existing player in the market to uh, to do that? And the be... Corollary, I guess, is how much how much guts does it take to be to be entrepreneurial and take your chances starting something up on
0: your own? I mean, the simple answer is that, in my experience, it's very difficult for the for the, mostly for the following reason. If you look at the established technology vendors, and, and I would leave out. I would leave out Google and Yahoo, and which act like startups. But, I mean, the the older technology vendors, the the most of the new ideas, you know, are threatening to their established uh, code base and their established customer base. So there's a great book by Clayton Christensen called The Innovator's Dilemma. Are you familiar with it? I am, yes. And so. You know, the, the, it is really, I mean, the basic point of the book is it's really difficult to morph from the old stuff to the new stuff without losing your customer base. And so, in my experience, that makes it very difficult to get new ideas into established companies. You, and you, so, mentioned, you mentioned Google
1: and some others about still being in the entrepreneurial mode. Is there something different about the way they've done it, or is it simply that they're not old enough yet to have reached the kind of you know inflection point
0: that uh, that you're talking about? I think the you know, one answer is that they're very new companies. Another answer is that Google is willing to eat it eat its seed corn, and and so they. I mean, that's really what it takes is to be able to do something that is going to obsolete your existing your existing solutions and it takes courageous management to be willing to do that. At what
1: point did you get interested in databases? How did that come
0: about? Yeah, the handwriting was on the wall that computer stuff was going to be important and so I I morphed into being you know, a computer scientist in graduate school and and you know, large, largely self-taught. And then, uh, and, and, and Michigan had nothing, nothing in databases whatsoever. And so, uh, I managed to get a an assistant professor job at Berkeley. And and it was real clear that my Ph.D. thesis was not going to get me tenure. And so I I needed to do something else. And so Ted Codd had written his pioneering paper the year before. And, you know, Gene Wong, who's another faculty member at Berkeley, said, why don't we we build a relational database system? And I said, gee, that sounds like a good idea. So we started building Ingress. Uh, And so, I mean, it was, I mean, there was no, there was no, I mean, it was, it was a green field at that time. I mean, there was essentially no, you know, no no courses, no um, no, no nothing, so we, we just started building the system.
1: And talk a little bit about you know, the evolution of this for you, because uh, again, uh, you have not been resistant at all to developments, to new developments, to uh, developing new methods. And even to the point of suggesting that there are now, uh, in today's world, where we're dealing with all these massive amounts of data, which we didn't have available to us before, uh, that there are strategies where many applications, uh, a database system other than the relational model, is, uh, is going to be the best for a particular product. Can bring, me, bring me through a little bit the, the different companies and the way the software you've been working on has evolved.
0: Well, the first one was Ingress, Ingress Corporation, which was a pure relational database system, and uh, and I think the and so it it and Oracle and and IBM's DB two you know pretty much defined the relational database market in the eighties, and research wise at Berkeley. Yeah, you know, I never worked full time for Ingress Corporation. I was always a one-day week consultant. And so the the, uh, the telling moment was uh, around 1985. Uh, Ingress had just had just extended its system to support the uh, SQL notion of date date and time as, as a data type. And so we had implemented it according to the ANSI specs. And I got a call from uh, one of the Ingress customers saying, you you implemented date and time wrong. And I said, oh, uh, you know, we, we did it the way the specs said and uh, we implemented Julian calendar semantics, which is what the spec says. And he said, well, that's not the definition of time I want. And he turned out to be... Uh, a bond trader on Wall Street. And for whatever reason, uh, you get the same amount of interest on a financial bond during each month, regardless of how long the month is. And that's apparently a U.S. phenomenon and not a European phenomenon. But anyway, he, he wanted a calendar in which uh, every month has 30 days. And uh, the year is 360 days long. And so uh, March, March 15th minus February 15th is 30 days, whereas the Julian calendar is 28 days. So, <clears throat> so he couldn't use the ANSI the SQL notion of date and time because it had the wrong semantics. So he, what he wanted to do, which was very simple, was to say, I just want to overload your minus operator with my code so I can get the correct answer and of course you couldn't do that in Ingress and so that was one of the one of the of several motivations for for doing Postgres was to build a more flexible relational database system and uh, I didn't uh, I didn't start Postgres Corporation until uh, Ingress Corporation had been sold and and Basically I had no my my non compete clause was completely over and I had you know I had no involvement with the company at all. So so then I started Postgres Corporation, which was called Elostra. And so the idea behind Postgres was, was a more flexible relational engine. And, and that, uh, I mean, those were the two important companies in the 80s and 90s. And then when, when, I, when I moved here to MIT, we, we, started, we started building a stream processing engine, which was called Aurora at the time. And it was real clear that stream processing, although it pretty much used a variation on SQL, the implementation was totally different than anything that looked like the previous systems. So, so that led me to write a pioneering paper in 2005 called One Size Doesn't Fit All. And, and so then, ever since then, you know, I've been looking for vertical market-specific solutions. And in fact, uh, there have been <clears throat> the the Aurora project turned into a you know a stream processing engine called called StreamBase, and then probably more importantly, uh, Vertica, which was the commercialization of, of an academic prototype called called CStore. Uh, basically change the data warehouse market to be a column store market as opposed to a row store market. Can you explain that a little bit more to
1: me? Um, from the I mean I, I, I have the perspective of, of uh, understanding relational databases but when, when you talk about a column store market how is it? how does it differ? Is it, is it a difference from the implementation point of view but is it also a difference from the way a
0: programmer views it? Or a database designer views it. Okay, so so you think of a relational database system as the the next thing in storage uh, is the next attribute in the same record. So you store you store data record by record by record. And so that's what's called a row store. And you implement SQL on top of a row store, and that's Essentially, what all of the major database engines do today. Uh, in the data warehouse market, what ends up happening is that uh, imag- imagine that you're that you're Walmart. So, Walmart. Uh, every time an item goes under a wand anywhere in the Walmart system, a transaction record is ultimately entered in into a database in Bentonville, Arkansas. And that has a historical record of who, what, when, where, why. And uh, Walmart keeps a couple-year history, and the whole purpose of this database is to for the buyers to use it for stock rotation, you know, what's hot and what's not. So Barbie dolls are selling and Pet Rocks are out, it's that kind of stuff. So it turns out in data warehouse folks all run historical queries. Uh, they're, it's query-oriented, it's not update-oriented. And so if you're, the, if you're the Walmart buyer who's charged with stocking Walmart stores uh, in, in the case of, say, northeast snowstorms or, or after hurricanes... Well, there were three major snowstorms in, in New England this, this past winter. So you'd want to know what sold in the week before the snowstorm, what sold in the week after the snowstorm, and compare that with same-store sales in, in, say, Maryland. So it's, it's that kind of queries. So a typical data warehouse has, you know, has these things called facts, you know, which is who, who, what, where, when, why. And often they are 100 attributes. Okay? So if, and a query such as, you know, stocking stores, you know, as a result of snowstorms, usually asks for four or five of those 100 attributes. The other 95 are not touched. So if you store data row by row by row, well, you get the other you get the other 95 attributes, whether you want them or not, because they're all mixed up in storage. If you store data column by column by column, which is the next thing in storage, is the next record the same attribute? So just imagine you're thinking and rotate it 90 degrees. So then it turns out that's just wildly more efficient for warehouse-style queries, but only warehouse-style queries. So column stores are the right answer for data warehouse workloads, and row stores are the right answer for, you know, transaction processing workloads. And so one size does not fit all. And that's exactly what's happening, which is that data warehouse vendors, you know, are all either converting to column stores, have already converted to column stores, in other words, it's going to be. It, it is a column store market, just because its column stores are wildly more efficient on that class of queries. Now, the current
1: distributed trend in hardware, the cloud, and, and all of this is taking to still another level or another another place of data storage, as well as these massive data sets.
0: Well, I think that so essentially every. Essentially, every vendor, you know, ha- has his database system available on the cloud. So if you want to, you want to use the cloud, you know, have at it. Uh, you know, that's that's readily available. Uh, I think what's going to happen is that over the course of, say, I don't know how long it's going to take, maybe 10, 10 years, maybe longer. Uh, what's going to happen is there aren't going to be any more corporate data centers because the economies of scale of the public cloud make it so much cheaper than than, corporate, than internal corporate data centers that sooner or later if you're, if you're a corporation like Walmart, you're either going to be a cloud provider to get to scale or you're going to be a cloud user and use somebody else's cloud. That's going to take a while because uh, there's a huge reluctance to let uh, let mission critical data outside your firewall. And so the crown the crown jewels people companies won't let them outside their firewall right now. And so and there are all kinds of regu- regulatory restrictions on you know, in some environments like telcos. So it's gonna take a while, but I think sooner or later there's gonna be half a dozen gigantic cloud providers and we're all gonna run on their hardware because it's just gonna be so much cheaper. Interesting. I know the I know the feeling I, I
1: uh, you know use tax cut to do my taxes and I don't want to upload it to the into its site, I buy the version that keeps it on my computer. So there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, momentum, I guess, that has to be
0: overcome. But it is. But the, the economics, you say, are just so clearly there. Well, just for instance, I mean, I, I agree. Tax returns is a really good example. We're all very. My wife is very reluctant for the same reason. You know that. that but I think realistically, your personal security system is probably not as good as the one that's used by the cloud vendors. So I think this is this is probably an irrational fear, but I think the real the real answer is that in, in your in your enterprise, uh, well, you're 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 running on your own on your own desktop system. There I can see, but but if you're if you if you work for a corporation, then your data center, uh, as often as I say, if you think about MIT. If you think about the building I live in, our data center is in Cambridge on raised flooring inside an expensive building. Uh, the, the, it turns out that uh, Microsoft Azure, their data centers are shipping containers and parking lots. Uh, and in the, in the, you know, you know, because they found that you just have a sealed shipping container that has power, chilled water, and the internet, and that's wildly cheaper than any of this raised flooring stuff. So, so the the economies of scale are just incredible.
1: It's interesting. I have a uh, I have an experimental website and a uh, uh, a Visual Studio project each running on on Azure, but uh, of course I've never given any concept as to where the where the location actually is. I remember Google and its floating barge, its mystery barge, I think it was in San Francisco somewhere, and nobody quite knew what it was for, and nobody ever found out. But uh, but that's interesting. It's also, I mean, to me, I, I guess it really, the distinction doesn't really matter anymore, but having grown up in the mainframe world, the concept of having a warehouse full of, you know, intel-based PCs chained together sounds like it wouldn't be efficient either, but I guess at some level it's no different than having a uh, one of IBM's current processors, which really consists of uh, ten thousand separate CPU chips uh, together in one place.
0: Well, it, it I mean it turns I mean it turns out that uh, it's just wildly cheaper to string together low end low end processors. So that's called scale out, and if you try and build a mainframe, that's called scale up. And scale out is just wildly cheaper. I mean, that, that's that's where the entire world is is very very rapidly going. Now, what does it do for database design? I mean, how do you
1: how do you deal with now uh, dealing with parallel access and, and things like that, where well, you're going to you're going to have the data distributed and spread across thousands of different nodes. Um, how does it change it both from the implementation position and from the, the programming,
0: you know, the external position? So essentially all commercial database systems right now are multi-node. There are some exceptions, but, uh, you know, you're just describing the way the commercial marketplace works right now. So all of that stuff has been worked out over the last 20 years. And, and so... So essentially, all DBMSs will run over as many nodes as you want. There are, there are some exceptions, but but most of them are multi-node.
1: And so where does it go then from here? What are you? What about the, the companies that you're just, uh, and the products that you're in the process of
0: developing or being close to release and, and so on? Well, well, for example, just this, just uh, for example... Uh, you're, you're accustomed to what's called business intelligence. Uh, you know, that's probably a familiar term to you. And so when I talked about uh, the Walmart, Walmart queries, those are sort of typical business intelligence queries. But in my opinion, what's going to happen is that business intelligence is going to give way to data science. And data science is building models instead of just running queries. So would you rather have have a model that predicts what happens after snowstorms or a big table of numbers? And so the answer is, uh, as soon as we can train enough data scientists, uh, there's going to be a shift uh, from business intelligence to data science, uh, or put differently from sort of typical SQL aggregates to predictive models, uh, linear regression, logical regression, Bayesian analysis, data uh, clustering, k-nearest neighbor. I mean, there's a whole collection of techniques. Uh, so, so you realize that all, all of this class of analysis techniques is basically statistics and machine learning. And it's all defined on arrays it's not defined on tables and so, and so if we switch to much more complicated computation on stored data that's defined on arrays not on tables well it makes sense to then investigate array database systems rather than table da- database systems so one of my startups is doing exactly that looking at looking at it from
1: a like from a matrix point of view
0: Correct. So it's a matrix it's a matrix database system, not a table database system. And it's wildly faster than table systems on this class of stuff. Is and it a whole new kind of paradigm for the,
1: the designer and the programmer to learn, the person who's actually going to set these things
0: up? Well it turns out that it turns out that uh, in 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 the data science world R is very very popular, and so the tools that data scientists want to use uh, are typically, you know, R, SPSS, SAS. It's basically stat-like things, and so yes, it's a different paradigm because that's what that's what those folks want, and they don't want to talk SQL. Sounds good. Thank you very much again. Best to you. Okay, thanks, Scott.